truth and preservation of our soul shine. I can feel it, yours and mine. Close your eyes and witness it inside. In your bones, you will know. Trust and let go. All Things in the Name of Love, Episode 12, How to Trust Yourself, with author Donna Sager-Cowan. Trusting yourself can raise your confidence, make it easier to make decisions, and also reduce your stress. But sometimes it may be difficult to trust ourselves, whether it be as a result of a bad decision you made in the past, getting hurt by someone you loved and cared for, or by simply not believing in yourself. The good news is that even if you don't trust yourself now, with some practice, tuning into your heart, and through the help of a good children's book, you can build up that trust over time. Joining us on today's program is Donna Sager-Cowan, the creator of the Superhero School series, to share her inspirational story, the release of her new children's book, with the Courage of a Mouse, book number one in the series, and how we can learn to trust ourselves and thus trust the process of life. And here's a little bit about Donna. As the youngest child in a large family, Donna felt lost in the crowd. She entertained herself by making up stories and friends to play with. By age five, Donna had taught herself to read, and that began her imaginative journey to dreamy castles with princes and fairy godmothers. Donna is a grandmother, random fact finder, and encourager. And yes, she believes she's a superhero. She resides in California with her family and four cats. Welcome, Donna. I want to talk about your amazing book. Thank you. I'm so thrilled that you think it's amazing to begin with. It's like that's always just makes my day that somebody loved my book, loved my words, loved my ideas for a story. Oh, yeah. Like, and it was so compelling. There were so many different layers. Well, you know, that I approached this book as if I were speaking to my grandchildren and, and and wanted them to kind of hear all the different things that they needed for their individual ages because they, you know, they range in age when I started this book from six to 18. So yeah. <laughs> big age range to try and speak to and get those points across. Well, you, I mean, just the different layers of, belonging and homelessness and that whole and 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 the other and because i'm a cultural historian so you just hit so many different layers for me of okay so simon is branching out cat is completely lost right and simon uses his wits right to escape being eaten and then befriends her. And it's like, wow, you're crossing 
you're crossing social restrictions to make friends with somebody that's outside of your group. Right. And and even in the book, Simon recognizes that right off the bat, that he's a little hesitant to do it, but he feels a connection to Kat that he hasn't ever felt before. And we also, you know, we tend to look at Simon is having this great life, and he does, but he is a little bit sheltered, which is part of what he learns through the first book, is that he does look at everything in a linear fashion in that it is only, this is what I want, and this is how to get it. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't really consider how it affects anyone else. Right. And so this is the thing that, that Kat brings to him that allows him to see that maybe his plans really aren't as perfect as he thinks they are. It was beautiful because it's, it's that whole <laughs> being a former control freak. Mm-hmm. I recognize that, you know, you just have to let, you can't factor everything in. You just can't. No. And, you know, snake. Yeah, you can. And, and just letting go and letting things be and let them unfold is a really important and challenging lesson. And I think you navigated that really well. Well, and I, I find it, it funny that you bring up all of these um, issues because I had one of my good friends read this book before it was published and she laughed and she goes, I see you in every one of these characters. She's like, there is a little <laughs> bit of you in each one of these characters. Oh. And she, she said, cat was you when you were afraid mm. and feeling that, that you were carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. And Simon is you at your best when you're large and in charge and ready to take on the world and you have a plan for everything. She <laughs> goes, but then again, I see you in Patty in that you you take on that challenge of this is a puzzle and I need to figure it out. But you're also Freddie in that family and friends mean everything to you and you are the ultimate hostess in worrying about everyone except yourself (laughs) and um, she goes on through the whole book and and points out different characteristics in my personality that that do pop up in these different characters and I really haven't thought too much about it but you draw from a vast (laughs) number of years experience starting when I was pretty young And, you know, some of the things that I've gone through in my life and experienced directly or indirectly to kind of put into this story and to put into this series about these animal characters in trying to navigate their world without a whole lot of information or help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what what I found endearing and and heart expanding for me was the different themes of trust that you wove through it right and so well you know trust go ahead yeah i was just gonna say trust is is a big issue especially for cat 
And, and it was very important to address that in the first book. The whole point of cat is learning to have the courage of a mouse. That, that it, it's okay to be afraid, but still to go out there and live her life. Where up to this point, life has not taught her that. Life has taught her that she should withdraw and not try things and everything she tries, you know, turns out poorly. And so this is, this is something that was really important. And a lot of it is based on her broken trust with the family that had adopted her uh, back in the real world and then abandoned her and, and, you know, subsequent things that happened to her up until the point that she meets Simon have really challenged her ability to trust even herself. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's hard for us to do when we're well adjusted. Right. <laughs> and, and one of the things that I see I see as um as a correlation is we we have a huge homeless population in Portland and I've had the really profound opportunity to interact with some homeless people here and what has struck me so deeply is the moniker of homeless somehow disqualifies them from humanity and for me, Simon represented to me this, this, I'm going to accept you where you're at and develop a relationship you where you're at. And then through that, you can become who you are. And I think that's such a profound message that you're showing, it doesn't matter where somebody's at, you can still love them. You can still give them friendship and kindness. Well, exactly. I mean, Everybody has problems in their life. Nobody gets through life without challenges, mountains, valleys. If if it's all flat, we're we're not going to appreciate it, enjoy it anyway. So everyone has problems, and I think so many people make assumptions based on what they see instead of what is actually true. And, and this is especially hard for children, especially the ones caught in the homelessness or on the edge of homelessness, which kind of another subject that's near and dear to my heart, where we have all of these kids that, you know, they're, they're, they're living with relatives or with friends or they're couch surfing, or they're, they're not living in what we would consider a standard living situation. Mm -hmm. And they are for the most part, homeless. Um, and it creates all kinds of issues for them emotionally mm -hmm. and in their growth because they become so focused on trying to hang on to what they have because it is so little and they are so pared down to literally what they could stuff in a backpack mm -hmm. that that they start also paring down their ideas, their dreams, their ambitions, their goals. They, they pare down their ability to even learn because at this point in their lives, 
that's not their primary focus. Their primary focus is to getting from one day to the next to make sure that they get something to eat or that their siblings get something to eat or that they have someplace to sleep that night or that is so to them going to school while it's a nice safe environment for them the education part of it is 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 almost secondary and sometimes even third because they are more concerned about survival yeah. and in when you're in that survival mode it's like you can't really focus on a future yeah you're 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 pretty much stuck in the here and now and and it does rob them that of of a childhood and it does start affecting their ability to trust not only the adults around them but themselves because they've seen witnessed and lived through the fact that life can change in an instant yeah. Well, and I, I felt that came through really clearly with the character of Kat, who's who's homeless. And then she, Simon, arranges this setup with with Mrs. G. G. Mrs. G. G. Mrs. G. And and Kat's in disbelief that anyone could actually want to help her because she's so used to not being treated with respect. And when she's she gets in trouble, she immediately goes back to the old behavior because she can't she can't trust herself. Right. She she can't fathom that while we all believe in the negative, in in fact I always find it strange that we are so ready to believe the negative and the worst but we are so hesitant to believe the good or a compliment about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we do the same mm -hmm. to ourselves even more so in that when you speak to a person that you know, either a friend or a colleague, you temper what you would say to them because you don't want to hurt their feelings and you want to be kind and you want to be constructive and you want to maintain that relationship. But when we talk to ourselves, we completely do away with those filters. And it's like, we will say things to ourselves that we can never imagine saying to another person, even our worst enemy, but we say it to ourselves. And it, this starts at a very young age. This starts at the six, seven, eight-year-old range where they're already struggling to try and find the correct level of concern. Where is like, you know, the anxiety of a math test to them is the same anxiety of a broken friendship. They they can't quite figure out the importance or the um the the level of importance or the order of importance yet. They're just learning that. But most times what they do to deal with that is they begin this negative self-talk rather than looking at their decision-making choices they look at themselves as their ability to make those choices. And, and then it becomes this negative self-talk. And once it starts, 
it's really kind of like this runaway train and, and it becomes this horrible habit that even as adults, we carry on. And it's like, and I ask kids when I go to these schools, I ask them this question, can you imagine what your life would be like if that was stopped, if that went away? Mm. Imagine all the the risks that you would be willing to take, all of the, mm. the, the dreams that would just suddenly become that much larger and that much more attainable if you didn't have this constant critic inside of you saying, no, you can't. No, you shouldn't. That's not good. You're you're not smart enough. You're not a, the enoughs, the enoughs, the enoughs. Mm-hmm. And and this was also a very important issue that I felt needed to be in the book because a lot of times these are things that are not discussed with children. They don't bring it up in conversation with adults. They don't even bring it up in conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. And so it's like how how do they learn to deal with it? We've gone through generation after generation of creating this pressure on ourselves and this negative self-talk, and it's become generational habits that we need to try and stop early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I catch myself. So one of the things that I've noticed is, for an example, editing. Editing I can do, I can do really well, and it's really draining. And usually when I'm done editing, I don't celebrate it. Right. And a couple of weeks ago, I actually stopped and painted and danced and sang for about a half hour. Mm-hmm. And it was so wild for me to actually do that, just stop and celebrate something. And I thought to myself, I need to do this more often because that's something I just, oh, yeah, I did this. No, that's a big deal. Well, yeah, we need to liberate ourselves. And I see this again with like mistakes. It's like we look at mistakes as this horrible thing. And it's like, well, again, no one ever learned anything from being perfect all the time. Right. If you don't make mistakes, then you don't learn, you don't grow, you don't stretch. And so this looking at mistakes as being this negative thing really needs to be looked at in a different way. It's like we need to celebrate and liberate ourselves that we learned something. We may not have done it perfectly, but you know what? We learned something. We grew. We moved forward. That should be an achievement. Mm-hmm. And it's we we really don't do that. We need to give ourselves credit where credit is due. It's like if you've changed a habit or you're working towards changing a habit, it's like this is the biggest thing they talk about it when people are dieting. If you don't give yourself a reward every once in a while, then it becomes this Herculean task that that you don't really want to do anymore. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Life is is this big, long journey that we all are on. Nobody gets to go on the same journey. We all on a different journey. But if we don't acknowledge how far we've come, how much we've changed, how much we've learned, then it just becomes this never-ending barrage of days and problems and solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and another thing, um, that I think is important that I can tie back to your book too, is the celebration of each other's gifts. 
because each of the characters has pretty different personalities and gifts that they bring to the table and that working together and that collaboration and not putting anyone down. That's another of the many topics you brought into the book that I thought was beautiful because I, I, I was reading Patty. I was like, yeah, that's me. Yep. <laughs> yep. I do that. Yeah. I'm not, I don't break laws, but <laughs> Well, you know, for a higher purpose, but I was just like, yeah, like you sit me down you say, okay, Erica, go find something. I am tenacious mm -hmm. and good Lord. It's, it's like, I forget where I am. Mm -hmm. And so each character, you just so fully developed them and made them so relatable. And what I loved was just seeing the contrast in the confidence of each one. I think Patty by far was the most confident. Well, yes, but even, even in Patty's case, she has, she feels confident when she's in her space yeah. and she feels confident when she's around her electronics, which is her milieu in life is that that is her one thing that it's almost, it, it, there's a, a, a passage in there where it talks about she speaks the language mm -hmm. they speak to her and so this is where she feels comfortable and confident but when she's at school when we first meet her she's almost trying to hide right. because she doesn't want people to notice her because she has been teased and bullied and this is what I really wanted to bring out in the story in the series is that we each have everything inside of us to be a superhero. Mm -hmm. And that is there. We have the tools. We have the knowledge. We just need to figure out how to use them. And we also have to learn that everyone is unique. And just because they're not like you doesn't mean that they're any less because of what they have may be the one thing that you are missing that you need. Mm -hmm. And so this is why I wanted them to almost fit together like puzzle pieces in that they were completing each other as a team and that alone they probably couldn't do it. But together, it made it so much easier. It made it flow. It made it work. It made all of the pieces kind of fall in line. And oh, get and them it, to where they needed to go. It worked so I, I did. I felt like, oh, okay, this is why this one's coming in, and this why this. Oh, now I get it because I saw you were putting a puzzle together. Right. I mean, it, it was couched around a mystery and mm -hmm. solving a a meerkat's malfeasance. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just seeing how each one contributed to the bigger picture. And that's something that we need to be reminded of is, well, we don't have to do it alone. In fact, we can't do it alone. And when we come together and we celebrate each other's skills, we can make so, something so much bigger than what we can do alone. Right, exactly. And when I talk to this, talk to children in schools about this, because I, you tend to see them work in like cliques where they only are friends with the people that are exactly like them. And I tell them, it's like, 
how is that going to improve your life? It's like if you only mm. have people around you that do and say and know exactly the same things that you do, it's like it's going to get boring pretty quick or you're just going to become the leader of yes men. And um, that's not always the best thing, especially when you're young and you're learning and trying and experimenting is it's like go out and find as many people who are completely different from you, learn other cultures, learn other languages, learn other ways of doing and looking at things because this is your opportunity to to build out your life, you know, make your life as big as possible, not as small as possible. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it, it makes such a difference. You enrich yourself and, and then you get you get that trust. Yes. Because then you, you 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 figure out who you are and where you fit. Right. And yeah, and it's not like to say that, you know, just because I'm friends with this person right now, that they are going to stay in my life forever. Come to the point where it's like, you know, no, they're not really my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. It's not really something that they don't, they don't mesh well with me. They don't fit with me or whatever, what I want, but that's okay because right. they probably fit somewhere else mm -hmm. and they need to go on with their life and find their space. But it, it's all about the journey of figuring out who you are and what you need in your life and how to get from this, this point you're beginning to enjoy the biggest, broadest life possible. Mm. <sighs> I love that. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. Oh, so here's a question for you. Sure. What is the correlation between being yourself and trusting yourself? Well, I'm glad you asked that because being yourself is like an act of bravery. You're you're facing the things that that we believe that the world finds difficult and making it uniquely ours. Okay, trusting yourself is more about courage. It's about the belief that you are not only capable and determined, but that you believe that your path or destiny is attainable. It's trusting that what you have inside, what you believe in, is going to get you to wherever you need to go. To become who you're meant to be, you must believe you can and trust that you will find the way to get there. Although they're considered separate, they do connect and they make us stronger, sure, and willing to step forward into the world and try. In other words, being yourself is recognizing what is unique about you. Trusting yourself is the willingness to share it with the world. Mm. I love that. <laughs> what what tips do you have for helping little ones? Oh, let me rephrase that. So for me, and my personal journey, I have found that when I've shut the noise out and I can actually be quiet, which is daunting, 
I feel that that greater sense, that greater purpose, that greater connection with who I really am. Uh, and that's taken me my life to do effectively. And for me, what I would love to see is little ones getting into the practice of stillness. Have you introduced that in any of your talks with kids or any teachers or, or how do you think it impacts your ability to feel, feel that trust you have for yourself and, and what your purpose is and what your skill sets are? Okay. Well, um, I haven't brought it up too much. It's like we, we do talk about meditation and a little bit and, but we mostly talk about listening to that voice inside. It's like, that voice is deep inside you, whether it's negative, positive, or a little bit of both, is vital, is vital to us. It's, it's, it's the thing that guides us, that advises us, and actually warns us when things are not going as we, sh as we think they should. However, the noise of everyday life, of getting from this moment to the next, from that problem to the next problem, the to-do list of life kind of drowned it out. And, and so if we don't find that quiet or that stillness to be able to communicate with that voice inside of us, then, then how can we know what it is that we need, what we're lacking, what, when we need to replenish uh, or rest, when when is it that, that our life needs maybe a break to reassess what's going on? It's like, if we don't listen to that voice, how do we know these things? It's like, um, if we're going to face and understand you know, the complexities of our lives. We have to listen to that voice and finding ways to communicate with ourselves whether through meditation or whatever works best for you. I do know people that take power naps and they talk about, oh, you know, I just work out a thousand problems in my head. I do it in my sleep. I plot in my sleep. I don't do it intentionally. It just happens that way. Mm -hmm. But that is kind of my voice. Mm -hmm. The rest of my brain is resting mm -hmm. and that problem comes to the front and I'm easily able to solve it. And you have to remember that trust is not logic. Mm -hmm. It's emotion. And that you can't just switch it on or off like you would a light switch. It requires some patience and a little bit of tending. And so if we don't give our mind that quietness, that stillness to work through all the input that is received every day, then it's going to wear itself out. It's going to overheat. It's going to explode, do whatever it does. And this is where it comes out where we have these, um, a lot of people have these uncontrollable anger issues or frustration or lashing out. And it's, it's kind of, um, the best way I can describe it is that feeling of overwhelm mm -hmm. because it's just too much, too much data and not enough 
actual sorting of the data. It's like you can have piles and piles and piles of information, but if you don't separate it and put it where it needs to go, it's it's pretty much useless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know that. I, I um, if I do not meditate every day, um, it is noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people notice it. I think that if, if we don't, you know, if we don't rest, if we don't give our, our, our mind that opportunity to kind of work through the problems of the day, the week or whatever, that it, it, it becomes a bigger problem or a bigger issue that sometimes can't be, can't be solved until you take it back and break it back down into the smaller pieces. Yeah, because it's, it's, I think, in, especially in our society, when we have so many distractions, it's really necessary to give yourself that quiet time now, because it just, it gets, there's so much. Right. And I like having, I don't even turn my phone on until 930 in the morning. And I get up at six mm-hmm. because I just don't want that distraction. Right. Which is good mm-hmm. and healthy, but most people don't take that active approach. And and especially for children, they, they mimic what they see. And so when they see the adults reaching for the electronics, oftentimes before they even roll out of bed and the last thing they do before they lay down and go to sleep, it's like they're going to mimic that. And, and especially for a young, active mind, it's like that is overstimulation of the brain with no rest time. It's like their, their brain is yeah. working overtime. Their body is working overtime because they're trying to develop into a full, fully realized adult, which means growth spurts, teeth growing in and out their organs and their bodies enlarging and going through puberty and everything like that. It's like very quickly, the body's going to get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And so something has to give. Yeah. Especially when they have all their sports activities and their homework. And like, I, I I remember dating myself, but I remember when (laughs) I was growing up, we didn't have those electronics and when I was getting hyper, my mom kicked me outside and said, go play. Right. For hours mm-hmm. until I got hungry. Right. And it was like, you will leave now, child, mm-hmm. and stop bothering me because you're way too hyper. And what that did for me was, A, it allowed me to be outside, which is really, really important to me. And B, let me use my imagination. Right. And I think the imagination is the most um, untapped and ignored resource that we all have. It's the just the imagination can take you to places you've never been. It can you can take the smallest amount of information and build an entire world, an entire story around it. If you don't believe me, read my book. That book was based on a question from my granddaughter asking me what I thought that one of my cats did at night when she went outside. 
I created an entire book, all these characters, and an entire series based on that one question through my imagination. And this is what I'm seeing. If you can imagine it, it's possible. Mm -hmm. That is from Albert Einstein. Mm -hmm. And it is true. It's, it is the, the most untapped resource is because oftentimes when we're afraid or when we're fearful, if we can imagine a different outcome, your body will react to that perceived idea and will calm down. Your, your blood pressure will drop. Your, your anxiety will, will slow down. Your, your breathing will, will normalize. All of these things were, were heading towards panic. Oh, I have to get up and, and give a speech. And all the panic and stuff sits in. But if you can just take one moment and imagine that you've completed that speech and that you did great and everybody's giving you a standing ovation, all of those signs of anxiety will immediately go away. That is the power of imagination. Mm -hmm. How do you help little ones cultivate imagination? Well, I ask them a lot of times just to tell me what their dreams are. Mm. And and then we take it from there. Or I sometimes will ask them to just tell me, I'll have a classroom of 20 or 30 kids and I'll say, okay, first person, tell me what you ate for breakfast this morning. And he'll say cereal. Okay, well, the next person, what did you, what did you wear to school today? And so we actually start creating a story just from these random items and questions that I'm asking them and writing them on a order on a, on a notepad, sometimes on electronics, depending on the school. Mm -hmm. Then they can quickly see how these items seemingly random can be put together. And then after about the fifth or sixth question, then they start picking up the idea of it. And I don't even have to ask any more questions anymore. Well, that's it's, awesome. It, it, it is very awesome, but it's almost that they just need someone to spark them. Yeah. To give them that little flint of an idea of where they can start. And it's like, um, I had one student ask me one time when I was doing a presentation about how to, how, um, I come up with what ideas for writing. And I'm like, well, we talked about different things that happen in their lives and what they could write about and how they can change them to, to fictionalize them. And I said, and he goes, well, how do you know where a story starts? And I'm like, there's a perfect answer for that. It should happen five seconds before everything changes or five seconds after everything changed. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. I totally, yeah, because yeah, I see it. And, and what a beautiful exercise. Yeah. I love that. I, I do too. And it's like, I, 
I loved doing that with my grandchildren when they were younger. It's like my one granddaughter, it's like she was um, a lot of energy. And so we would take her outside. We have a large property here and it's a lot of trees. And so occasionally we would have tree limbs down. Mm -hmm. And so we know we gathered rocks and we made kind of a, a, uh, an imaginary fire pit. And it's like we collected leaves that suddenly became fish. And then we drew teepees on the ground that we lived in as Indians. And these big branches became bears and fox and stuff that we were out hunting. And she loved that. And it was like, that was her gracious, like, she couldn't wait to come to the house so that we could do that. And I'm like, you know, you could do that in your own backyard. You don't need me to imagine this stuff. You already know how to do it. Yeah, but it's more fun with you. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I've had lots of practice. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. Oh. Let's see. So here's a question that I would like to know your thoughts on. Mm-hmm. How, when you trust yourself as an adult, what kind of impact does it have on your kids and other adults? Well, I think that, that when we trust ourselves, it's kind of like a balancing act. It's like a high wire, high flying act without a net. <laughs> it's like, you know, mm-hmm. First, we have to consider whether we think a person is worthy or not of our trust. And then we have to decide if we're willing to risk that trust and that worthiness. And then finally, we have to conceptualize or imagine what is the worst possible outcome of trusting that person. And and so these are all the things that are going through your mind in in just microseconds. Mm-hmm. And it's like trust is kind of like responsibilities. It comes in all different levels and layers. Like oftentimes we'll start out with a new person with, you know, kind of small little tests. And whether or not they pass it determines whether or not we increase that trust or we keep it at the same level or we actually might decrease it a little bit but if we don't learn to manage all of those conflicting feelings around trust whether it's earned or demanded um we tend to blame ourselves when the things don't go exactly the way we planned the the self-talk starts coming in the little pep talks we give ourselves. Well, you knew this was going to happen, but you did it anyway. So there's nobody here to blame but yourself kind of thing. That internal dialogue, it, it, it gets completely determined by our own point of view. And it really doesn't consider anything else except our point of view. It doesn't consider any factors in whether the weather, the person had a bad day, whether they didn't sleep. There was a test that day at school. It doesn't take into consideration any of those factors. And it, again, it's not logic, it's emotion. And um, trusting someone is like the greatest risk that we can 
offer to another person. And at any mm-hmm. moment, a word or a gesture or even the lack of either one of those can, you know, crack that shaky foundation that we've built. Now, imagine all of those and you put that back on yourself when you already are so hard on yourself and you don't believe that you have enough, you are enough, that you know enough, that you can be, or this. It's like, so we've magnified all of that criticism for ourselves, all that self-talk into a trust issue. And so now we're like, well, it's like, um, I'm, I'm sitting here being the voice of reason for you all the time. And I keep pointing out all of your flaws and faults here. It's like, um, do you really think you're trustworthy? Do you really think you need to, to pay attention to your idea of what's right and wrong? Or maybe you should follow somebody over here that looks successful. And, and it really does kind of weave and wrap itself in to our own internal criticism, which is why it is so, so difficult to learn to trust yourself because we put so many other outside factors in it when inevitably it's just, we have to believe that we can and that we know how. That's all trusting yourself is, is believing that you can and you know how. So what are five ways to help us truly trust ourselves? Well, everybody's going to have a little bit of different approach. And these are my top ones. And I, I, you know, I take time to listen and communicate with my inner voice. I give it the space and time that it needs. Um, Number two, I recognize and separate my ego and my negative self-talk from my trust issues because they are separate. They are not the same. Mm -hmm. And then I also have to look at and examine all my positive and negative traits and what triggers those emotions in my self-talk. There are certain things that happen that automatically make me hesitant to trust. There's certain words, certain emotions, certain feelings that trigger negativity in me, and I have to really work to look past those. Um, Number four is I have to ask myself, is my critic my inner self-talk helping or hindering me is what it's telling me. Is it making me a better person or is it just making me more negative? Mm. And then the fifth is I have to create habits that include gratitude, self-love, self-care, reward. I have to honor myself and recognize my achievements so that 
I know that I'm going along the right path. And then I have one bonus for you here. And I, I say this to a lot of people, you have to compare the advice that you give to yourself to that which you would give to a friend. Mm -hmm. If you wouldn't say it to your best friend, why, why would you say it to yourself? Yeah. True, true. Mm. Thank you. You're very welcome. So you recently had to, not had to, had the opportunity <laughs> to travel to Tucson, Arizona, and LA, California earlier this spring as one of the featured guest children's authors at the Tucson Festival of Books and the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books, which included a lot of school visits and appearances. Tell me about those experiences in both cities and how they transformed your life and the lives of children's and students you connected with, especially knowing that some of those kids might have been navigating some of their own trust issues. Well, a lot of them are, and I find that this is unfortunately very common, no matter the the um, age, the income, the status, the uh, the area of the country that they live in. The all these children have trust issues based on different factors. Um, I think children in and of themselves are high risk for creating these lifelong self-esteem issues because we live in such a fast-paced world that they don't really talk to each other. They don't talk to them to other adults about things that are bothering them. They're so used to being solve it yourself. And it's, not a bad trait to have in trying to solve your own problems, but if you don't have enough information or if you have the wrong information, then you're never going to be able to solve the problem well. It, it, they, they get a lot of this stuff mixed up and it begins to start affecting them and their their, their decisions based on a risk reward. Um, level in that they they stop being willing to risk certain emotions or certain activities because the reward level isn't high enough for them or that they feel that the risk level is too high in that emotional damage or trust issues or whatever the problems are that are going on in their lives. And they tend to withdraw. They withdraw from friends, family, from um, their peers. They withdraw from their schoolwork. They, they struggle to keep up because, again, as we talked about earlier in the program, the education becomes second, third, fourth in line of level of importance. and they don't seek help. They, they, they really feel trapped in their own world that if the adults can't figure it out, who do I go to? Right. And so they start falling further and further behind, which only enforces this negativity that they have, the low self self-esteem, which is based on 
primarily lack of trust in themselves. This is higher risk I see for kids that are dealing with um, home life issues, such as, as we spoke earlier about being on the edge of homelessness or being homeless or having um, a broken family situation or very little support in a family situation. I, I love going out and seeing these kids, but it absolutely breaks my heart that most of them have given up their childhood by the time they've reached seven, eight, nine years old, and they're almost mm. acting as miniature adults. They, mm. they really are abandoning their childhood because they are taking on re- adult responsibilities, adult concerns, and adult trust issues. Mm. And I really think that um, wow. it, it's important that we recognize mm. this and give them the tools to recognize that and give them the tools to be able to deal with it. We have so many books and um, seminars, webinars, speaking engagements where they talk about these issues for adults. No one talks about for kids. Right. Well, hopefully you're starting, starting the discussion on that. Well, I do hope because I think a lot of times these these things are just that we're we're walking around so so busy. Everybody's schedule is just jam packed. I mean, I would have never mm-hmm. thought twenty years ago that I would be this busy in my sixties. <laughs> it's just like wow it's like you know you you think that life's supposed to slow down a little bit as you get older but it, in this day and age it's like there's so much information there's so much going on day in day out that it, it it's really hard to find the time to have the important conversations so I think sometimes as a children's author that's my job to point out the concerns and and the gaps where we are missing. Thank you. You're welcome. So I have a question. Sure. Could you share a sneak peek of With the Curiosity of a Cat, which is the follow-up to With the Courage of a Mouse? And it's the second out of how many installments of the Super Cool series? Well, at this point, we're not exactly sure how many it's going to end up being. I do have originally had six books in this series laid out, but we'll see. It may continue okay. on beyond that. But yeah, I um, I just hot off the presses um, just a few days ago, was um, editing chapter four here for you. So I'm going to let, let you hear it. The mouse fell from the plane with a startled yelp, not expecting to find himself tumbling end over end through the bright morning sky. Simon was surprised and a little scared. Simon tried to catch his breath, but the wind whipped it away just as quick as he inhaled. He relaxed his paws and firmly gripped the smooth handle bumping against his leg. He pulled hard, but it didn't budge. Simon's head was spinning as he cartwheeled through the cold air. He pulled harder, yanking with all his mouth strength to release the parachute. Sweat beaded on his upper lip as his teeth ground together for one final pull. 
the handle broke in half, the ripcord useless in his hand, while Simon continued his tumbling spiral to the ground. The broken plastic slipped from his nerveless fingers. This was bad, bad on a level that even Grandma Whiskers' famous rants couldn't fix. If Cat was terrified before, watching her best friend die would finish her off. Unless, just with that hopeful thought, Simon felt Cat's body slam into his parachute pack. His hope for survival was short-lived when she swooshed away just as quickly, <laughs> his frozen paws unable to grasp on. Simon tried to slow his spinning, spinning tumbling dive as Cat swam closer, only to side past him and his waiting arms. After the third try, Simon managed to stop spinning. He was falling faster. Simon's brain reminded him they'd gone past the count of 45 and their lives were in serious danger. There were no time left for plans or finesse. Simon reached towards Cat one last time, missing her paw by inches. He straightened his tail, curling the tip like a hook. He wrapped it around Cat's tail. Cat caught on, twisting and weaving her own tail with Simon's to resemble a braided rope. Tails coiled tight, they pulled closer and closer until finally they could latch their packs together. When the final buckle clicked in place, they both grabbed the ripcord and pulled as if their life depended on it. A breath or two passed. Both Simon and Kat's faces were filled with fear. They had accepted they were going to die, but at least they were together and not alone. Simon considered how nice that was for a second before the air was ripped from his body. The world suddenly felt like it flowed backwards, yanking them up higher in the sky. A calm, peaceful silence surrounded them. The rushing wind, so loud only moments before, stood still. Simon's stomach rushed to his throat as the white parachute unfurled, dropping them a few feet lazily before drifting to the ground. Seeing the soft smile on Kat's face was almost worth dying. A fact Simon realized still might happen. I love it. <laughs> God, I'm glad. I always love to hear good feedback on that, what I'm working on. <laughs> oh, fun, fun. Looking forward to reading the rest of it. That's awesome. Yeah. We are hoping for a November 2019 release date. I will have the exact date in November um, around the 1st of July. Yeah, I'm, I am so excited. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, the message is, I, I know based on our conversations that you're going to keep bringing in these deep, deep messages that need to come to light. Well, yeah, because that's, that's just who I am. That's the way the series was laid out. And I think we haven't heard or learned the last lesson between Sam and Kat, Patty and Freddie, and mm -hmm. maybe a few more new friends. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to, you know, I added six new characters just the other day. So we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see okay. if they get to stay. 
Oh, Donna, thank you so much for being on this show. I appreciate it so much. You are so very welcome. I am so happy to be with you today. This has been a very interesting conversation about my book, and I absolutely love the deep dive that we got to take today. Thank you. How can, how can my listeners stay connected with you on social media? And how can those who are interested in booking you for a school visit or presentation connect with you online? Well, um, the easiest way to reach me is through my website, DonnaSagerCowan.com. All my social media links, all the retailers for uh, book purchasing links are on the website, along with my new author visit page that includes information about visits and the form to connect with me and schedule that. So um, I have a list of the 20 different subjects that I do um, speak on, although if you want something personalized for your classroom or group, I can do that as well. Mm. Thank you so much for showing up in the world as you do and for offering your gifts to people. Thank you. I'm so grateful <laughs> for all that you do. Well, I... I think my greatest gift in the world is just to take what I've learned and share it with the world and hope that they get something valuable from it. I, I sense they will. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. The action item of the week is, well, do you trust yourself? Sit with yourself a little bit and figure out if you have anything that you don't trust yourself with. Ask yourself why. Odds are it's probably something that you learned as a kid. Now, here's something that's really wild. You can actually go back and sit with that little kid, talk to him or her, ask them what they felt about it, and tell them they don't have to carry it anymore. It's an energetic process called healing the inner child that I won't get too much into, but you can look it up online. It's a really healing process, and you can heal yourself so much if you look into it. That's it for the week. Until next week, I bid you the highest peace, love, and prosperity. Namaste. Preservation of our soul shine. I can feel it yours and mine. Close your eyes and witness it inside. In your bones, you will know. Trust and let go. I 